Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, the heads of TikTok X and Meta testifying on Capitol Hill. Senators accusing them of having blood on their hands. What senators tell us about Chinese-owned TikTok, Melina Weiskup on Capitol Hill. The White House formally naming the group that killed three U.S. troops in a drone attack in the Middle East. And can the U.S. retaliate without affecting a hostage deal in Gaza? Israel Defense Forces are engaged in intense battles across the Gaza Strip, and some Palestinian medics have now moved to the front lines of the war, risking their lives to treat the wounded. Jason Perry reports. A group of young men caught on camera attacking two New York City police officers near one of America's most famous tourist destinations. Are the suspects in the U.S. legally? Arian Pazdar brings us the details. Two presidential hopefuls compete for union votes. Former President Trump and President Biden hold back-to-back -back meetings with union leaders, both expecting to go head-to-head -head in the general election. Arlene Richards has the story. Disney loses a major legal battle against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Find out what the judge had to say about Disney's lawsuit and how the company responded. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City, here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. In Washington today, members of Congress grilled the CEOs of social media companies TikTok, Meta, X and Snapchat. Lawmakers are ramping up pressure on these companies to combat child exploitation. NTD's Melina Westcup reports from Capitol Hill. Concerns are mounting that social media platforms aren't doing enough to keep kids safe online. The bipartisan nature of this topic was on full display today. Usually at hearings, we see a lot of friction between Republicans and Democrats, but today all of this pressure was directed at the witnesses themselves. One example of this was when Senator Josh Hawley pressured the CEO of Meta, Mark Zuckerberg, to stand up and apologize to the families of the victims of child and drug trafficking. Now, while this hearing was focused on all of the social media platforms. On multiple occasions, senators pointed to the unique challenges with TikTok, which is owned by a Chinese company under the direct influence of the Chinese Communist Party. TikTok has become a, quote, platform of choice for predators to access, engage, and groom children for abuse. China-based employees of your company have repeatedly accessed non-public data of United States citizens. Why should you not be banned in the United States of America? Senator, I disagree with your characterization. Many of what you have said, we have explained in a lot of detail. I am deeply concerned about the collection of data information. And here in the U.S., you look at what it is spreading, the challenges, the children that have lost their lives. Uh, it's completely unacceptable. Dumb down our children or in some way launch up psychological warfare against America. Absolutely. We know these platforms are also used for propaganda. And on that note of propaganda, Senator Tom Cotton made a fierce display of this when he asked TikTok CEO over and over again to acknowledge an ongoing genocide in China. Listen to this. Is the Chinese government committing genocide against the Uyghur people? Actually, Senator, I talk mainly about my company, and I'm yes, here to yes talk or, about what yes TikTok no. does. Yes or no? You're here, we to give, allow... you're here to give testimony that is truthful and honest and complete. 
Yes. Are you scared that you'll lose your job if you say anything about negative about the Chinese Communist Party? Now, there are several bipartisan bills to address the issues with TikTok and other social media platforms, but they oftentimes face roadblocks here in Congress with advocacy groups speaking out against the implications it could have for free speech and censorship. One senator telling me bluntly, these companies have too much influence in the halls of Congress. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskup, NTD News. The White House is now formally naming the Iranian proxy group that killed three American troops in a deadly drone attack. It's also vowing to retaliate without undermining talks to get hostages out of Gaza. NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao has more. The White House on Wednesday formally blamed a group called Islamic Resistance in Iraq for the Sunday drone attack in Jordan that killed three U.S. service members and injured at least 40. Here's what the White House said. Watch. We believe that the uh, uh, the attack in Jordan was uh, was uh, planned, resourced, and facilitated by an umbrella group called the Islamic Resistance in Iraq, uh, which contains uh, multiple groups, including Kitab Hezbollah. But the White House added that this was not the only group responsible for the many attacks on U.S. forces that have been happening in the Middle East throughout the past few months. And President Biden on Tuesday said he had decided on how to respond to the latest drone attack but wouldn't go into details. The White House on Wednesday saying that there will be multiple faces to the U.S. counterattack while adding that this should not impact any ongoing talks to get a hostage deal from Gaza. And this Friday, President Biden will attend a dignified transfer at Dover Air Force Base to mark the return of fallen U.S. troops to American soil. The White House on Wednesday also announced a new trip for President Biden sometime in February, and that is a long-awaited trip to East Palestine. And President Biden promised to go there about one year ago after the train derailment incident there and causing chemical spill in the region. Here's what the White House said when questioned, why now? We got an invitation from the mayor and community leaders to uh, to come and very very recently around he always said that when the time was right it was the most helpful for him Meanwhile, to be there former president Trump who visited the region soon after the incident said on Wednesday that Biden's trip is a year too late and is only to develop some political credibility reporting from the White House Iris Tao NTD News Israel defense forces remain engaged in an intensive campaign across the Gaza Strip, reporting significant developments in northern and central Gaza. Amid the gun battles, Palestinian medics are risking their lives to care for the wounded near the front lines. Entities Jason Perry has the latest on the war. Israel Defense Forces continue to battle their way through the Gaza Strip. On Wednesday, the IDF reported killing 15 terrorists in the northern Gaza Strip in just 24 hours. And in central Gaza, the IDF killed 10 armed terrorists in less than an hour. And in Khan Yunus in southern Gaza, the Hamas-run health ministry said over 150 people have been killed in the last 24 hours. Palestinian medics are now risking their lives as they move their ambulances to the front lines to be ready to care for the wounded. We now function as an ambulance field point in central Khan Yunus. Since we left six days ago, we have been working. There's a lot of injuries among the displaced who are in the industrial quarter in some schools. 
South Africa's foreign minister has taken note of the recent death toll and called for states to stop funding Israel's military. Her comments come just days after the world court ordered Israel to take steps to prevent genocide in its war against Hamas terrorists. I can't uh, be dishonest. Um, I believe that the uh, rulings of the court have been ignored uh, by Israel. Hundreds of people have been killed in the last three, four days. Uh, and clearly Israel believes it has license uh, to do as it wishes. The World Court also ordered Israel to take steps to improve the humanitarian situation in the Gaza Strip. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Wednesday addressed these concerns. South Africa had the temerity to bring us to uh, the ICJ, charging us with uh, genocide against uh, really in the service of a genocidal organization. Now, the worst thing that I can say is this, that many of the charges, false and unfounded, that were leveled against us in The Hague were brought by UNRWA officials. And we have discovered uh, in the last uh, few weeks that UNRWA officials were complicit in the massacre. Netanyahu then called for other United Nations agencies to replace UNRWA to help solve the humanitarian aid situation in the Gaza Strip. And regarding the 136 hostages still being held captive in the Gaza Strip, National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby said the discussions to release the hostages have been productive. Kirby also said that Secretary of State Antony Blinken will be heading back to the Middle East at the end of this week to continue the negotiations to release the hostages. Jason Perry, NTD News. The Federal Reserve is holding interest rates steady for the fourth time in a row. The most noteworthy development to come out of today's meeting was Fed officials signaling that rate cuts could be coming later rather than sooner. In considering any adjustments to the target range for the federal funds rate, the committee will carefully assess the incoming data, the evolving outlook, and the balance of risks. The committee does not expect that it will be appropriate to reduce the target range until it has gained greater confidence that inflation is moving sustainably toward 2%. Powell indicated that more confidence is needed on inflation before rate cuts can start. He said he didn't think officials would have that confidence in time to lower rates at the Fed's next meeting in March. First, in an impeachment, now accusations of causing a fentanyl crisis. DHS Secretary Mayorkas fighting multiple battles today. NTD's Arian Pazdar has more on that and other news about the border. On Wednesday morning, a House panel approved articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. He's accused of breaching the public trust and refusing to comply with the law. And just hours later, House Speaker Mike Johnson accused Mallorcas of being partly responsible for the fentanyl crisis. Moms and dads, brothers and grandmothers, all of us are losing loved ones to a drug that is being smuggled across the border in droves. Where in the world is Secretary Mayorkas on all of this? He is the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. It's his responsibility to prevent these harmful drugs from flowing into our country. The full House could vote on Mallorca's impeachment as soon as next week. Meanwhile, in New York, two police officers were attacked by a group of people believed to be illegal immigrants. The officers reportedly asked the group to move along when a fight erupted. The suspects punched the officers and kicked their heads while they were on the ground. 
The NYPD confirmed to NTD that they have arrested five of the suspects and that they are now facing multiple charges. Now, reports say that the suspects are illegal immigrants and that they have been released without bail and that one of the suspects already has open cases against him because of violent attacks he allegedly committed just a few weeks ago. However, NTD could not independently confirm that. Joseph Imperatrice tells me the incident could have ended much worse. He's an NYPD officer and founder of Blue Lives Matter NYC. If police officers can't defend themselves, if they're wrestling with people on the floor and they're getting kicked in the head, they can have their firearms taken away, they can be shot and killed, something has to be done. Have some kind of fear for people so that they do not try to attempt to attack any officer ever in uniform. He added that being a sanctuary city has backfired for New York in recent years. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. A battle for union support. Former President Trump meets Teamsters union leaders today in Washington. President Biden heads for Michigan Thursday. He's set to meet with United Auto Workers members. Both Trump and Biden are preparing for a likely general election rematch. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. Well, thank you very much. We had Former President Trump Wednesday meets with, with Teamsters, Teamsters union leaders and members in Washington. President Biden is set to meet with United Auto Workers members Thursday in the battleground state of Michigan. Two candidates, one goal, to get the working class vote. Union endorsements could be crucial in a presidential race where just a few thousand votes in several key states could decide the 2024 election. Trump's meeting with the Teamsters follows a private get-together with union leader Sean O'Brien. The two met at Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort four weeks ago. But the Teamsters haven't endorsed Trump yet. They endorsed President Biden in 2020. O'Brien also invited Biden to meet at his headquarters. Biden has won endorsements from most of the nation's major labor unions. United Auto Workers President Sean Fain last week delivered a fiery speech in Washington to endorse Biden. He told Face the Nation Sunday why he chose Biden over Trump. President Biden has always bet on the American worker and stood with the American worker, and he proved that uh, during this presidency. In his speech last week, Fain said Trump stands against everything we stand for. But the UAW was slow to endorse Biden, despite his joining striking auto workers last September. It is unclear when Biden will meet with the Teamsters. Arlene Richards, NTD News. The latest development in the battle between Disney and the state of Florida. A federal judge has dismissed Disney's lawsuit against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Disney's complaint accused DeSantis of weaponizing his political power to punish the company. The judge ruled that Disney lacked legal standing to sue Florida officials on First Amendment grounds. Dismissal of the suit is a victory for DeSantis, but Disney suggested it will appeal the ruling. In a statement following the court ruling, the company said, This is an important case with serious implications for the rule of law, and it will not end here. The legal dispute stems from Florida's parental rights bill signed into law by DeSantis. Its critics called it the Don't Say Gay Bill. In part, it prohibits classroom instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity for certain grade levels. After Disney spoke out against the bill, DeSantis took over the special district governing Disney World and its resorts. Disney's state-level lawsuit against Florida is still ongoing. Coming up, House Speaker Mike Johnson putting a spotlight on the Chinese regime's persecution of people of faith. What he said at the International Religious Freedom Summit. 
And the FBI director warning lawmakers about cyber threats from the Chinese regime. Our guest says the White House hasn't been providing solutions so far. Here, his reaction to the warning, that and more, after the break here on NTD News. Welcome back. The 2024 International Religious Freedom Summit is underway in D.C. House Speaker Johnson was shedding light on the Chinese Communist Party's persecution of people of faith. Tibetan Buddhists and Falun Gong practitioners are placed in forced labor camps and they have their organs harvested by the Chinese Communist Party. And at this moment, the U.S. has an opportunity and an obligation to prevent genocide and punish those who commit it. Speaker vowed to punish the CCP for its human rights abuses. Last year, the House overwhelmingly passed a bill to punish the CCP for its forced organ harvesting targeting prisoners of conscience. Right now, a coalition of over 100 lawmakers, doctors, academics and civil groups are also speaking up. They're calling on the United Nations to establish an international criminal tribunal to investigate the CCP's crimes of forced organ harvesting. In 2019, an independent tribunal in London published their finding after a year-long investigation. It found that forced organ harvesting had taken place in China for years and on a significant scale. Detained Falun Gong practitioners were the main source of organs. More on Capitol Hill today, FBI Director Christopher Wray warning Congress of China's cyber operations targeting critical U.S. infrastructure. His testimony comes as the Justice Department announces measures against a Beijing-backed hacking campaign. NTD's Sam Wong has the details. At a committee hearing today, FBI Director Christopher Wray warned that Beijing is leveraging its cyber capability to target critical U.S. infrastructure. That includes both military and civilians. From water utilities and the electrical grid to oil and natural gas pipelines, Beijing state-backed hackers are targeting major infrastructure across America. According to FBI Director Christopher Wray, the operation is huge, to the point that Chinese hackers outnumber the FBI's total cyber resources by a staggering 50 to 1 ratio. During a testimony before the House Select Committee on the CCP, Wray warned that Beijing's threat to U.S. infrastructure could result in real-world harm to Americans' physical safety steps China was taking, in other words, to find and prepare to destroy or degrade the civilian critical infrastructure that keeps us safe and prosperous. The hearing comes as the Justice Department announced it is disabling a China-backed hacking campaign codenamed Volt Typhoon. The group had attacked hundreds of office routers in order to access their data. In the face of rising cyber threats from the CCP, the committee's ranking member, Roger Krishnamurthy, vowed there would be repercussions. First, we will attribute it back to you if it's activated. Secondly, that could be a, an act of war. And third, we will respond decisively. In addition, lawmakers fear that Beijing's cyber campaign could compromise Washington's ability to help Taiwan, especially during a potential invasion by China. Some members of Congress told me we still have a long way ahead of us. Are you confident in our responsiveness and readiness when it comes to tackling Chinese uh, cyber threats in the U.S.? And how vulnerable are we at this point? Uh, we're very vulnerable. I think we have a good offense. Uh, I think we have good partnerships with foreign countries. But in terms of just securing our homeland, 
and our domestic critical infrastructure, that's where I think we have a long way, a long way to go. This is going to be a persistent and chronic threat coming from the Chinese Communist Party for as long as any of us are around. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Sam Wong, NTD News. Joining us now to react to the congressional hearing and break down the threat of Chinese hackers, we have Cash Patel. He's a senior advisor to former President Trump for national security, defense and intelligence. Patel also served as deputy director of national intelligence. Cash Patel, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back on the show. Hey, thanks for having me back on the program. Now, FBI Director Ray is warning that Chinese hackers are preparing to, quote, wreck havoc and cause real-world harm. Now, how could we see that play out in our daily lives? Well, one, you don't need to be the director of the FBI. We've been saying it for years. So why he's deciding to say it now instead of repeatedly saying what we've known to be true for years is a failure in leadership at the FBI. And what we can do, unfortunately, the American public can only harden our infrastructure so much. The thing that Christopher Wray should have been telling us in this committee hearing is what the FBI and DHS and the intel community have done to date to prevent these Chinese hacks, not tell us that the CCP has been hacking and infiltrating us and jeopardizing our election security and stealing our personal data. And I've heard no solutions. So I think the American public needs to be a little more outraged at this type of reckless government leadership that has led to this type of invasion of our privacy and our national security. On the note of the invasion that's happening, why is China targeting things like our infrastructure, electric, mm -hmm. electrical infrastructure, water treatment plants, even gas pipelines and transportation? What is Beijing's end goal here? Their end, the CCP's end goal is always how do we take out um, America? How do we diminish their capacity on the world stage? The CCP will never maybe publicly admit it, but we are their number one adversary. And, um, and what they do, whether it's the electric grids, which a shutdown of any one electric grid system, which is highly outdated in America, and needs a huge revamp, would wreck major portions of the country's ability to literally operate. I mean, think about everything that uses electricity or needs recharging, et cetera, in your daily life. I mean, it would shut down massive parts of this country. So the CCP is looking at invasive ways that don't cost them a lot of money to implement in the United States. And with Joe Biden's open border policies, allowing people, the CCP is seeding illegals into the country, buying up farmland in and around military aid races. They don't have a loss, a legal system or rule of law that guides them. They just do whatever they want, whether it comes to intel and overseas operations and, and putting people on the ground in the United States of America to implement them. And I haven't heard anything from this administration that has been set up to thwart that rather just raise the flag as if that is somehow groundbreaking information. Hmm. And given all that is at stake here, what are the steps the U.S. must take? What is the solution? The solution is we have to reprioritize our intelligence community to collect against what we call hard targets, such as the CCP, and make those a number one priority, such as terrorism and the CCP, Iran and Russia, and the uh, ongoing war efforts that they are creating that are hurting the global economy and killing American soldiers. The invasion on our southern border, the drug cartels, the human traffickers, it's all interrelated. These countries overseas are seeding people through our southern borders illegally every day to advance one of their many lines of efforts that they've implemented, whether it's cyber, whether it's um, electrical grid systems or working on actual land acquisition in the United States of America. And until this uh, administration, the Biden administration, recognizes the actual threats to America and reprioritize them as such like we did in the Trump administration, where it was national security, national security, national security, 
then unfortunately we're going to continue to be not just targeted, but successfully targeted by the CCP and our adversaries. And sounding an alarm on Capitol Hill doesn't give me any assurance that this government has done, this administration has done anything to protect and defend against that. And Ray continued to say that this is more than just the technology side, saying, quote, they target our freedoms, reaching inside our borders across America to silence, coerce, and threaten our citizens and residents. Given that, what about on the personal level? For those who are concerned, what can people do to protect themselves? You know, on a personal level, you can get smart with all your passwords. You can stop using TikTok for number one. TikTok is a Chinese, a CCP pipeline directly to your children and your family's intelligence and information. And they call that data and store it in mainland China and use it against you and your family down the road. Maybe not tomorrow, but maybe not next year, maybe five years from now. But they're stealing our information and we're letting them do it. So things like that and using software systems that actually harden your protection against your computer systems and don't get on open Wi-Fi networks and just give away your data uh, many of these networks that the CCP has infiltrated for the very same reason of coming in and taking our data so they can do those simple things but they need to be a part of a growing course in America that actually stands up and says what are you the US government and the Biden administration doing to shut them down we made it a priority in the Trump administration sanctions economic sanctions diplomatic sanctions tariffs uh, along with a multitude of other options that we rolled out against the CCP to shut down this type of behavior. And we just don't see that in this administration. Quite concerning indeed. Cash Patel, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks so much. Have a great day. Coming up, articles of impeachment against Mayorkas now moving to the House. Our guest says impeaching the secretary sends a very clear message to the American people. Hear his analysis of the impeachment. Hundreds arrested in Southern California in connection to human trafficking rings. Officers paint us a picture of their week-long operation. Congress tackles surging health care costs. A former police officer calls the high costs a tragedy. That's coming up. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some today's top headlines. The CEOs of TikTok, MetaX and Snapchat testified to Congress over child exploitation. Senators from both parties expressed concerns that social media platforms aren't doing enough to keep kids safe. The White House named the Iran proxy group responsible for the drone attack that killed three U.S. troops in Jordan. They said it was the Islamic resistance in Iraq. The Federal Reserve decided to hold interest rates steady for the fourth time in a row. The agency indicated that they need more confidence on inflation before they can start cutting rates. A federal judge dismissed Disney's lawsuit against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. The judge said Disney lacked legal standing to sue and the company suggested it will appeal. Joining us now to explore the impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, we have Bob Barr. He's an attorney, former congressman, and impeachment manager during President Bill Clinton's impeachment in 1998. Bob Barr, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Always great to be with you all. Thank you. Now, House Republicans have voted to advance their impeachment articles against DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Now, how rare is it to impeach a cabinet official? 
it's actually even uh, rarer than impeaching a president. Uh, I think it's been about a century and a half uh, since the last time a cabinet uh, officer was impeached. So it's very, very unusual. Given that timeline, what is the precedent here? The precedent here is whether or not Mr. Mayorkas has done more than simply engage in policy disagreements or engage in policies with which those seeking his impeachment uh, disagree, uh, as opposed to committing something more than a policy disagreement, that is a high crime or misdemeanor, which means something very, very serious, either a violation of a criminal law, which was the case with regard to the Clinton impeachment in which I was involved a number of years ago, or deliberate and willful failure to, to follow a federal law, which is the case as alleged here. Hmm. And on the note of how this impeachment is unfolding, Democrats are calling this a political stunt. What's your understanding of the legality here? Of course, uh, an impeachment is not, strictly speaking, a legal proceeding. It is, as our founders, uh, in particular Alexander Hamilton, one of the uh, authors of the Federalist Papers, uh, uh, told us, that it is a political tool, but it's a very serious one. And as one of the federal courts, uh, with regard to these cases involving Mr. Mayorkas, has said, look, if, if in fact you in the Congress disagree with what Mr. Mayorkas is doing, don't come to us. You have a tool available to you, that is the Congress, and it is impeachment. So the courts uh, have basically told the Republicans in the House of Representatives, you have a tool at your disposal. It's up to you to use it. That tool is impeachment. Hmm. Now, on that note, Speaker Mike Johnson is saying it is Secretary Mayorkas's job to prevent harmful drugs from flowing into our country and secure our border. How would a Mayorkas impeachment help secure the border? Well, it, that's a very, very good question, because even if uh, Secretary Mayorkas were impeached and then removed, which is highly unlikely, uh, given the fact that you need a two-thirds majority and the in the Senate to convict and remove him, and the Republicans are in the minority over there, uh, you know, he would be replaced by presumably somebody else uh, ready, willing, and able to carry out Mr. Biden's policies. So unfortunately, it's probably not going to solve the issue. But I think impeaching Mr. Mayorkas is called for and would send a very clear message, at least to the American people, that a majority of the House of Representatives is doing everything that it can to correct the awful uh, policies and failure to abide by the law on our southern border. On that note, what do you see as the next steps in this case? Some are saying it could die in the House, the Senate, as you just pointed out, or could we actually see a conviction? What do you see next? It will, of course, now that the uh, committee with jurisdiction uh, Mr. Green's Homeland Security Committee has reported out two articles of impeachment to the full House. It will be up to Speaker Johnson to schedule a vote. Uh, now, whether or not the Republicans will be able to secure a majority for that, you know, is itself uh, a question because of the very, very slim majority that they have. But hopefully they will have a majority. 
Uh, and if, in fact, a bare majority votes uh, on either one or both of those articles of impeachment, it will, in fact, go over to the Senate, and the Senate will have to conduct a trial and then vote on whether or not to convict and remove Mr. Mayorkas. Quite fascinating indeed, Bob Barr. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, as always. Three men from Mexico are facing felony charges for leading a retail theft ring and selling fake IDs to illegal immigrants. The suspected ringleaders of the scheme were arrested in Chicago last week. A spike in shoplifting arrests on Michigan Avenue led to an investigation. Here's Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart on the fraud and theft scheme. This story we were getting over and over again. So we did an undercover operation as a result of that. We got enough information to direct us where this was going on. We then worked on this thing for a couple weeks, and then we started buying some of these phony cards ourselves. At the conclusion of that, we executed a search warrant, and during the course of it, this is what we got. Sheriff Dart says investigators recovered close to 500 fake IDs. The fakes include driver's licenses, social security cards, and even green cards. He said some individuals involved were directed to steal specific items to get an ID card. Police say the fake IDs cost around $150 on average. Investigators believe there are other operations in the city targeting illegal immigrants. New York is considering a plan to relax hiring qualifications for 4,000 jobs so they can be filled by illegal immigrants with work permits. The plan would allow bypassing proof of education, previous employment and English proficiency. The state's Department of Civil Service says 4,000 vacant positions have already been found so they can enter the workforce. The agency's memo stated most of the jobs are entry-level positions in healthcare, hospitality, auto repair and building or ground maintenance. The memo also listed the main barriers that are stopping illegal immigrants from getting state jobs, limited English and being unable to verify their education and previous employment. The department says it would waive the usual requirements by creating temporary positions with transitional titles while they obtain the required credentials. The Los Angeles Sheriff's Department announced that hundreds of people were arrested during a week-long operation that targeted human trafficking. NTD's Christina Corona has more on the story. Operation Reclaim and Rebuild is an annual coordinated statewide law enforcement effort to impact one of the most heinous crimes, the sexual exploitation of another human being for profit. Let me be clear, human trafficking and child exploitation are devastating crimes that prey on some of the most vulnerable members of our community. This year's operation took place between January 21st through January 27th. 54 adults were rescued, 11 children were rescued, 40 suspected traffickers and exploiters were arrested, 271 sex buyers were also arrested. In total, there were 539 criminal arrests made during this week-long operation. Sheriff Luna shared a sex trafficking case where a juvenile was at the Parkway Plaza Mall in San Diego when she was approached. When she was approached by an unknown male Hispanic who told her she should be a model, uh, he presented her with a business card which read, hiring models for downtown gig work for money. The girl called it. 
the number and the mail told her that she would be doing date sex with guys in hotels. She showed her mother the card who reported it to the police department and resulted in the arrest of the human trafficker. The youngest victim rescued through Operation Reclaim and Rebuild this year was 14 years old. However, she had been trafficked since she was 13. This week-long operation demonstrates that if you engage in human trafficking activities, harm our children and destroy lives, there will be absolute consequences and there is no refuge for predators in the state of California. This operation is aimed at helping victims reclaim their freedom from sex trafficking to provide them with the support and tools to rebuild their lives. To report trafficking activity, suspected trafficking activity, or trafficking victims, please contact the HSI tip line or the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Christina Corona, NTD News, California. Healthcare costs continue to rise, expected to increase 7% this year. Lawmakers are tackling the issue again, focusing on price transparency. NTD's Virginia Gibson has more. Price transparency needs to be the standard throughout the healthcare system. Lawmakers take another swing at surging healthcare costs, which are projected to rise 7% in 2024, according to PwC. Lawmaker Kathy McMorris-Rogers says these costs are hurting Americans. In 2022, spending on healthcare in the United States reached nearly $4.5 trillion. That averages out to about $13,500 per person. Kevin Lyons administrates health plans for police officers in New Jersey. He sees costs rising unchecked. My individual members, those that put their lives on the line every day, they head to work and their families is real and it's a tragedy. Many of our members see a significant portion of their hard-earned salaries, sometimes as much as 15% consumed by health care premiums. And this is before they have accessed one ounce of care. Lyon says opaque billing practices are the norm. He sent price data requests to hospitals from three years ago that he still hasn't gotten. When people see the prices and the price differentials, it's going to shock the conscience. And, people, and, and that'll start the, the, the tide rolling the right way. Lawmakers want to pass the Lower Costs More Transparency Act, which directly addresses these issues. They believe transparency is a key step to lowering costs. What if you're standing in a coffee shop and you get a coffee cup coffee for $10 and the guy behind you or the lady behind you pays two? You're going to look at it and say, wait a minute, you just paid $2 and I just paid 10 that's what the lower cost transparency act on both sides of the aisle wants to expose. Lawmaker Brett Guthrie says that when people know the prices, they can make better decisions. Though this may not completely solve the problem because health care is complicated. I would best describe this as trying to get socks on an octopus. I mean, this is, um, uh, there are so many layers. Rep Anna Eshoo says she feels overwhelmed but that it's still important to tackle because everyone needs health care. Virginia Gibson, NTD News. Coming up, more allegations of plagiarism at Harvard University, this time involving the head DEI officer and a major Harvard donor pulls the plug in donations. Find out why. And in golf, the PGA finally completed their billion-dollar deal, except it wasn't the long-rumored one with Live Golf. Dave Martin will join us to explain when we come back.
Welcome back. Harvard University could be facing a fresh plagiarism scandal after an earlier one led to the resignation of the institution's president. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on a new complaint against the university's chief diversity and inclusion officer. The complaint is against Harvard's chief diversity and inclusion officer, historian Sherry Ann Charleston. It alleges she lifted significant portions of text in her academic work without quotation marks. The complaint obtained by the Washington Free Beacon alleges that her doctoral dissertation contains a lot of other scholars' language verbatim with no quotation marks, with just references and footnotes. It makes about 40 comparisons between Charleston's writing and reference materials. In many of the examples, the two texts are not identical word for word, but there appears to be significant overlap. Harvard University has not yet commented on the allegations, nor its planned response to them. The latest development comes after former Harvard President Claudine Gay resigned after being accused of plagiarism. Billionaire investor Ken Griffin says he has halted his giving to the school over how it handled anti-Semitism on campus and the leadership crisis involving its president. The investor, speaking at the Managed Funds Association conference in Miami on Tuesday, wondered whether Harvard would get back to educating young adults to be the future leaders of the country. Or are they going to maintain being lost in the wilderness of microaggressions, a DEI agenda that seems to have no real end game? Are we going to educate the, the future members, the House and the Senate and the leaders of IBM? Or are we going to educate a group of, of young men and women who are just caught up in a rhetoric of oppressor and oppressee? Griffin made headlines in April 2023 by donating $300 million to Harvard's Faculty of Arts and Sciences, raising the total amount of his gifts to more than half a billion. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. NTD has reached out to Harvard to confirm whether they've received the complaint and for their comments on the allegations. We did not receive a response before airtime, but we'll keep you updated on the story if they get back to us. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, the PGA Tour has finally made their mer major merger announcement, but it's not the one we're expecting. Is it possible they can still merge with Live Golf? Yeah, apparently that's still being discussed. What they have now is really a minority investor, as Liv reportedly would have been called Strategic Sports Group. That's made up of some wealthy owners of other sports franchises, like New York Mets owner Steve Cohen, Boston Red Sox owner John Henry, just to name a couple. They become part owners in a new entity called PGA Tour Enterprises that current PGA Tour CEO G Jay Monahan will be the CEO of and retain control over. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's the same one they were supposed to have after merging with Lib. So really it's just a different investor that doesn't have all the human rights baggage that the Saudi Arabia owned league had. They just don't get back all their former players who defected to Lib. But what this deal really does, it gives the PGA Tour money that they desperately need to at least keep the remaining players. Well now for some of those players who've rejected Live Golf's offers like for instance Tiger Woods, how does this deal benefit them? Yeah, those players who stayed with the PGA will effectively become minority owners in this new venture as well. That'll be based on years of service as well as success on the field. Now I will say it looks very unlikely that Woods share in this new ownership will equal the reported $750 million offer that he rejected from Live. I mean the total investment that the PGA Tour got from Strategic Sports Group is one and a half billion so I'm doubting he's getting half of that. But the ownership stake is clearly something to compete, compete with Liv's deep pockets. And there's an option for them to, 
to make an additional $1.5 billion investment down the line, so more money could be coming. Now, this doesn't kill the chances for Live Golf or really the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund that funds it to still merge with them. Reportedly, one of the sticking points is what happens with Live Golf itself. It has some major players, but it doesn't have the brand that the PGA has. I mean, its brand is linked with Saudi Arabia instead, which few American sponsors want any part of. Well, now shifting to college sports, two state attorneys general filed an antitrust lawsuit against the NCAA today. Now, was this related to the NCAA's probe of Tennessee for possible name image likeness violations? I mean, it appears so. Now, the two states you mentioned are Tennessee and Virginia. They're alleging the NCAA's rules unfairly restrict how athletes can use their name, image, and likeness. Now, it was just yesterday that reports came out claiming the NCAA was investigating the University of Ten Tennessee for potential level one violations. Those are the most serious. Now, reportedly, this comes down to their NIL collective called the Vol Club. Now, an NIL collective is technically independent from the school. Most collectives are groups of boosters that pool their money together to pay college players for their name, image, likeness, while finding a legal way to have it tied to them playing for their alma mater, of course. Now, the rules around NIL seem very confusing, though. I mean, they vary from state to state. The NCAA has their own rules as well. In any case, the NIL, the name members like this rule, only started like two and a half years ago. So they're really still sorting this whole thing out. Well, it sounds like this is a rapidly growing industry. How much money are some of these athletes making from these NIL agreements? Well, some are millionaires from it. I mean, according to On3.com, 19 players have NIL agreements worth more than a million dollars, with the most being LeBron James' son, Bronny, at 5.8 million. He's a freshman at USC. Now back to the Tennessee case though, there was an attorney that released a statement yesterday on behalf of Spry Sports Group, which operates that Tennessee collective I mentioned called the Vol Club, saying that their agreement with highly touted freshman quarterback Nico Aymaleva was quote, fully consistent with then existing NCAA NIL guidelines that had nothing to do with recruiting Nico to the University of Tennessee or any other school. Now that's interesting to know because Aymaleva is one of those 19 players who has a million dollar NIL agreement Maybe his recruitment is and deal is what's under scrutiny by the NCAA. We just, we don't know yet. Well, Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.